Welcome to the land flowing with milk and honey. Welcome to Israel, one of the only countries to still post growth last year during the great economic downturn. Welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. This is John Billington with you this week. 2009 was a brutal year economically for most countries of the world, and especially the U.S., as we know. It has been called by many the Great Depression. Well, for Israel, however, the early 80s were a disaster economically, but those days are long gone. In fact, in the last quarter of 2009, Israel's economy grew 4.4%. Currently, Tel Aviv, the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange is only 1% short of 2000's, uh, 2007's all-time high. And even though Israel has fought two wars over the last few years, it seems to have little impact on the economic stability of the nation. In fact, the Financial Times said, Bombs drop, yet Israel's economy grows. And this growth does not look like it will be short-lived. This year, a 3.5% growth is forecast. This is all very exciting, because when we open our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 38, as we often do on the Bible in the News, we see that this is exactly what it tells us to expect, a prosperous Israel before the time of the end. Prosperous enough to rouse the attention of Russia to the extent that they come down to take a spoil. Let's read Ezekiel together. Chapter 38 and starting at verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that that time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. Now this is speaking of the northern confederacy of nations that it uh, speaks about at the beginning of the chapter, but we're just jumping in the middle. Thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. To take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, that dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? So we've got a picture of a northern confederacy of nations coming down on the land of unwalled villages, which uh, is in Israel, and they're coming down for a spoil and for a prey, it says, upon the desolate places that are now inhabited. Well, really, until recently, there wasn't much that you'd want to be going down to Israel for. But in the last few years, things have started to change. We'll touch more on that as we go. But there has been a new book that is re uh, recently published called The Startup Nation, The Story of Israel's Economic Miracle. The book was written by Dan Senor and Saul Singer, and they look at um, Israel as an ideal model for other countries to aspire to, and in particular the U.S. In a recent interview with CNBC, Dan Senor had this to say. What's fascinating to us, Israel and the Middle East get a lot of coverage, but one side of the story that gets very little coverage is that Israel is the fastest growing, one of the most dynamic entrepreneurial and innovation-based economies on the planet that barely got hit 
by the global economic crisis in 2008. More Israeli companies on NASDAQ than all of Europe combined, than all of India, China, Korea, Japan combined. Uh, more global venture capital each year going into Israel on a per capita basis than the United States, two and a half times more than the United States, 30 times more than Europe, even in 2008 when, when the global economy was melting down. And so this sparked our curiosity, how have the Israelis pulled it off in the least likely of places, surrounded by enemies in a state of war since its founding, no oil, no access to regional capital or regional markets, and what can we in the West learn from it at a time that we are trying to reboot our own innovation economy and get real productivity gains, not credit bubble economic gains, and um, and so we tried to look at the factors that have driven the Israelis, and is there anything uh, driven their success, and is there anything prescriptive for us? When asked about the extraordinary innovation uh, that is in Israel and that you see in Israel, Senor had this to say, and for those that don't know what R&D is, it is short for research and development. We go through eight factors in the book. Uh, let me just quickly focus on two or three of them. One is our, the Israel's immigration and assimilation policies. The Israelis have very innovative policies in how they bend over backwards to bring people to their country from around the world. Israeli prime ministers run for office talking about how many immigrants they're going to get into the country. They don't view immigration as a burden, and they, they have some very innovative policies for assimilating them. Civilian research and development, they spend more as a percentage of their economy on R&D than any country in the world. And they have some very innovative ways for how they actually make that R&D funding matter. It's not just about spending. It's about how you make it matter to the startups and the companies using it. And the role of the military is, like, amazing. These young 18-year-olds go into the military when they finish high school. Males serve for three years. Females serve for two years. They get the most incredible leadership and entrepreneurial experience in the battlefield. And the entire economy knows how to read a military resume. Investors, CEOs of companies, when these guys come out of the military, they know how to integrate them and their battlefield experience into the economy. And the U.S. does not know how to do that. And we look at how we could better integrate our soldiers and Marines serving in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, coming back with incredible experience and getting them to work. We don't know how to do that today. Now, on top of all this, what is not mentioned and what we haven't spoken about as yet is the natural gas that was found in Israel at the beginning of 2009. And as they say, where there's gas, their oil is often uh, not far away. In fact, a number of companies are drilling like mad to hit the black gold uh, in Israel. The result of this, even with the, the result of this, uh, in, is independence from is, uh, Egypt, sorry, uh, independence from Egypt on the nat natural gas front, and if we can get some oil in the picture, I think that uh, you'd see a, a little more independence from the U.S. And they're going to need that the way Obama is aggressively pushing, especially this last week, which uh, we're not going to touch on, but uh, I don't think is a very positive thing for Obama to be uh, uh, going after. But that's, uh, that's for another week. Well, this is all certainly amazing, and the, the book calls it Israel's Economic Miracle. We must say, however, that the great economic situation um, we must say, however, however great the economic situation becomes in Israel, it will never come close to the blessings that the Jews and the land will receive at the return of Christ. Zechariah says the following in chapter 8 and verse 22. 
Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass, that ten men shall take hold of out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And it certainly will be um, obvious, I think, at that point in the world that God is with them. Ezekiel, in chapter 36, in the Prophecies of Restoration, chapter 36 and verse 24, says this, For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I also give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments, and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleannesses, and will call for the corn, and will increase it, and will lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach or famine among the heathen. And in the prophetic Psalm 72, looking forward to the time of the restored kingdom of Israel, it even speaks of nations coming and bringing gifts. It will be a very different time for the Jews and the land of Israel. A time of blessings await, more, more than a 4.4% growth. A time of blessings await, physical blessings, but truly, even more importantly, spiritual blessings await. God says, as, as we just read, that the nation will be cleansed and a new spirit will energize the nation. That spirit of truth. Well, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for another edition of the Bible in the News.